welcome to episode 63 of Reading Between the Reels. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Corey Heitschmidt and Justin Eldon. How's it going, guys? Absolutely great. So good. I need a catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. So uh, today on the show, we're talking about a movie that Corey is very excited to talk about. He's been excited to talk about this for like two years, I think. I think it came out. Probably. Yeah, we're talking about Shazam. From Shazam! Was I Sorry, a catchphrase a reference to that movie? <laughs> I think it might have been. Might have been. We're, we're getting oh. started early. All right. Fantastic. So, um, Justin, I'm going to start with you. What are your uh, what are your overall thoughts on Shazam? Um, okay, so I don't know how known I've made this on this podcast, but as both of you may know, I'm a DC EU or whatever we're calling it now skeptic. I I have loved some of the movies, and I've been like eh, about many more of them. Uh, this one I really really enjoyed overall. Fantastic movie. Um, I feel like it did a wonderful job of not focusing on the larger universe so much that it derailed or took away from any character development or story development. Uh, but it still mentioned the larger universe and was an enjoyable movie by itself. It did not need the rest of the DCEU to pull that off. It wasn't trying to be an MCU movie. It was just like, hey, we're, we're going to be a DC movie and we're going to do it well and we're going to make you laugh and we're going to make you love these characters and sometimes even question whether or not your allergies are working up and like, like tears are <laughs> leaking down your face. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic film. Nice. Corey, what about you? All right, let me start. I, I love Shazam. I think this is a fantastic movie. I love the direction DC was at at this point where they were going. Love the Snyderverse. I think this is a, when I look at this movie, I think this is a great combination of Tom Hanks big meets super Superman. It's the movie of a kid at heart who becomes a superhero in his own right. It's his origin story. I'm not a big fan of always dragging out origin stories, but this is a great one to do to introduce. And it also sets up an origin story for the whole Shazam family. I think piece this together with black Adam I think DC was in a beautiful place to set up a Black Adam, Superman, and Shazam trilogy movie. Should have happened. I still hold out hope that could have happened. But I think uh, Zachary Levi is an incredible casting in this. He's one of those people that just has the right, the right mannerisms, the right enthusiasm and excitement for playing this character. I think they do a wonderful job of incorporating the villain in here. I will say this. I, I say this has a great story because this DC, we know, is a little bit dark at times. There's some dark stuff and dark concepts they get. But with uh, Shazam, I think they do a great job of bringing in a little bit of darkness because some of the seven sins are a little scary, you know, and – so you think of this movie with several kid roles that are major roles in this, major characters. And so I'm thinking, okay, you're taking your kids, you're taking your family to this show. And then you get the seven sins, which are a little scary. Well, you know, you took if you took a younger kid, I wouldn't take a five-year-old to this. But, uh, you know, and then when they throw that board out the window and, you know, that that, that board member out the window, it's that's a little bit dark, a little, a little scary. So after that, they're kind of tame, but... So they're a little scary and intimidating looking. But I think this movie does a great job of blending that kind of that nice young heart feel with a coming of age and uh, Tom Hanks big feel where you're just jumping from a child to an adult and having to deal with all the things you'd have to catch up on in an instant. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, I kind of had some of that too. I mean, I've referred the big comparisons before. I think that that was one of the things they they pitched as well. Um, for me, it feels it feels very much like an '80s movie, right? Like Gremlins is a movie that I think of as a kind of an analog for this too. Like it's scarier than a kids' movie should be, but it was like that's what we did in the '80s, and like you just you, know, you grew up a little bit when you went to the movies. 
you know, some, some kind of scary stuff that happens, some, some pretty traumatic stuff, you know, kids in danger and that stuff too. But, um, it balances it out with the humor, I think really, really well, which like you, you mentioned, Corey, you know, the earlier, like the Snyder movies did not necessarily have that levity to them. So this was kind of the first one that was maybe the most appropriate one for kids. And I think that's probably why it was one of the very first critically acclaimed DC movies other than, you know, Wonder Woman was probably the first one that was like, yes, we all love this movie. Shazam also was, you know, pretty highly praised. And I think so. And I, you know, I think they played it safe as to whether or not they could include. I mean, they, there were, they include all of the Snyder verse in this. We've got the Batman characters. We've got the Batarang. We've got all of these aspects, Aquaman. We even have a couple Aquaman jokes. I mean, so there's, there's some things in there that they throw to nod at the Snyder verse. But at the end credit scene where we don't see Superman's face, you just, you know, it just kind of, it kind of is a, well, just in case we don't have to bring this into a Snyderverse thing, you know, if this wasn't to come off, it's just a one-off movie, this would be great, you know? So. It, it very much felt like they were, yeah, playing it that way. It's like where if we never need to mention Shazam in the larger universe again, no harm, no foul. And it, it, it connects in such a way that it's not going to hurt either side, but it's, it's also not being crushed under the weight of its predecessor storytelling either. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see like what will happen with Shazam fear of the gods, if they'll do kind of a similar thing there where it's, you know, it's, it's kind of in limbo right now, whether that's going to be canon moving forward in the, in the new DCU. So uh, what kind of, connections it'll have to the prior films, what kind of connections it'll have moving forward. Um, but the fact that the first movie stood on its own and was enjoyable that way kind of makes me excited for the second one. You know, if they do a similar thing where I can just go and enjoy this movie for two hours and not worry about, you know, does it set something up? Does it pay off from something earlier also? So, all right, let's talk about, let's talk about composition. Um, Corey, I'm gonna start with you on this one. What do you have for, uh, for cinematography or composition, color, camera work? All right, this is my all-time favorite for this movie, the color work. I'm going to bring this up. And, uh, you know, I, I've asked people about this movie before, and I'm surprised at how many people have not caught on to this, but it's the story of Billy tells about his mom at the carnival versus the story his mom tells. The exact same story, exact same words, but they're two different versions in color work. And the part that strikes me about that is how relatable it is to real life. And I'll get to that, but to, to kind of sum up, if you haven't paid attention to that, when Billy tells the story of his mom at the carnival trying to win him a tiger, he really wants a tiger, which, by the way, is the two emblems that are on the Shazam outfit are the tiger. Nice. So oh. he really wants the tiger, and his mom says, you know, hey, I'm doing my best, honey, and I'm I'm not a professional. She's laughing. The sun is out. It's a snowy day, and it's so bright, the coloring is just as if the lights are right on you. And so it's a bright, sunny day. It looks warm, even though it's winter. She's wearing a white, glowing hat on her head, you know, a, a little, you know, winter hat. And she has white gloves throwing those darts. And they don't win, and she gets the, he gets the compass and walks off, and we, we get lost and all of that. And the colors are brighter. So then when the mom's telling the story, the mom's telling the story, she has black gloves, her hat is brown and it's a darker day. It's all, it almost looks like it's a cloudy day. There's no sun. There's no glowing in the lights of the snow reflecting off or anything. And so her tone with her son, and I know this because, you know, as a parent, I've had to do this tone. When he says, I want a tiger, she says, I'm not a professional. You know, I'm doing my best I can. And it's a very, it's almost a short, sharp tone that we've all had as a parent, right? Like I'm just trying. And so, the power of that scene is so subtle, but that color work is brilliant because it shows the difference between a child's view of a situation and a parent's view of a situation. It's the same story. It's the exact same thing. But if you take the child's view, they're going to see the good in it. They're going to see the pedestal that they put their parent on. His mom, he put her on a pedestal. And then when she looks at that same story, she doesn't even remember what the compass is. She's she's seeing the darkness of the story and the sadness and the the struggle that she was going through. And I think it's brilliant 
because, you know, and, and I think in all of our situations and all of our life, we have that moment where a parent thinks you go to Disneyland with your family. The kids are going to be like, oh, my gosh, we went on one ride and or seven rides and we got all these souvenirs and we came home. And the parents are going to be thinking we walked for seven hours. We stood in line for eight hours. I spent seven hundred dollars on souvenirs. Half of them broke before we got home. And so we have the exact same story, but two different versions. And I think it's a brilliant thing to pull that off to make the the viewer see that situation for the kids and for the parents. And I think me personally, I've adopted two kids and I've had these conversations with my sons as they've gotten older about their parents and what, what their parents were like that I met before I adopted them. And this is a very real situation that comes up. And I think that's why it's so powerful to me. That's why I love this movie so much is because it put in my eyes the color and camera work of the feeling of how my kids are going to view a story of, of their history versus how I see the story or their parents see that story is that sometimes it's the same story. It can be the same wording, but it's not always the exact same view of what the reality was. And so that's why I think it's a powerful moment. I absolutely love this. And, and when I talk about Shazam, this is the thing that sticks out to me. I love this story so much. I love this camera work. And I think it's a brilliant take. And And I don't know if people get it or people see it or they just gloss by like, oh, yeah, she got a black gloves on this time. But to realize all the nuances that go on beyond that filmmakers put in there. And so I absolutely love this moment. Perfect. Yeah. Justin, what about you? That makes me Fo- really follow sad. that. Yeah, that, that makes me really sad, Corey. Like, oh man, I got to be a better dad. Uh, shoot, dang. Um, oh yeah, uh, Craig, why don't you go next? Why don't, why don't uh, you follow that? Okay, uh, yeah, well, that's fine. I will. Um, wow. Okay, uh, I'm going to jump to to something that I think was a, was an interesting an interesting choice. So we all, uh, I think, most of us know that Henry Cavill at one point was supposed to be in this film uh, at the end, and then it didn't work out. Yeah, I've heard scheduling, I've heard contract issues, what have you. The character, though, of Superman shows up at the end. And what I think is really interesting, I have this under composition, is that you have, he comes in and you don't see his head. All you see is his chest walking through. So you can clearly tell that it's Superman. Um, but I think what is brilliant is that, that they decided that we're going to still have Superman in this film. And what we're going to do is we're going to only have the camera show the body and not show the head. And I think it's, what's brilliant about that is that now, and I've heard David Sandberg actually talk about this too, uh, the director, is that because of that, we focus on Freddie's face only. Like it's much more, it's because this film has already kind of been a fanboy's view of the Snyderverse. I mean, Freddie is kind of the stand-in for the audience anyway, right? And like he's the one with the Superman shirt and the Batarang and talks about Aquaman, knows all the stuff. And so it's kind of his moment. You know, he's he's us in that moment. Superman's coming to the cafeteria to have lunch with us, too. So what's important is is Freddie's reaction. And that's which I think the brilliant thing about the way that that shot is composed. Do they compose that explanation with that was our intention or do they compose that explanation of, well, let's try and let's try and explain how we could view this given what we had to do? Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been on the audio commentary, but they, the main focus that that I took away from it, and I think that what they really kind of tried to drive home was that it, we just, let's just make it about Freddie in that moment, which is really good. And I, yeah. I think you absolutely hit that, and I hadn't considered it. Is that it is Freddie? Freddie's the one to focus on there. Yeah. Um, some other things uh, that I really liked is there's a video I like to show our our students about um, the color of magic in Disney movies, and it's always gold which is, is kind of nice that, you know, Shazam's powers are always coming through gold and there's like the gold sparks in the, in the rock of eternity and those kind of things. Um, so that's, that's kind of fun. A lot along with, uh, you have the, the eye of sin has kind of two colors going. It's got like a blue inside and there's like a red on the outside, which makes a purple and purple is sometimes royalty, but it can also be a magic color for magic too. So, you know, intentional choices I think are, are genius that along with you know savannah has like a blue black lightning it could have had the same color lightning but his is you know like a bluish black like a negative color and shazam obviously has the gold lightning so justin what about you what about what did you notice for uh cinematography uh so it's what i noticed is uh 
quite a bit of the scenes with uh, Dr. Savannah, even even as a child. I, I don't remember his first name. Must be Doctor. Um, but even as a child, like they were they were very dark, not only in in tone, but um, like the music was just very dark in general. And then the very first time uh, he goes and he meets um, the wizard. Uh, as he's looking at that eye, uh, this this one I thought, okay, this is way too obvious. I shouldn't even bring it up. But as he's looking at the eye, the reflection of the eye is in his glasses. Oh, nice. Um, the the eye he would eventually lose. It's not reflecting in both glasses, just that the one, um, kind of like a as a foreshadowing. But uh, yeah, just generally, like the darker scenes are going to be with Doctor Savannah and then um, Zachary Levi's Shazam. When he's in his darker moments, the scene is also very dark. But when he, he's in his brighter moments, it's a little more uh, levity. Like the the scenes where he is um, doing like testing his powers, see which powers he has. Like that's right. all during the day. It's all very bright. It's yep. all played off to comedic effect. Which I'm I'm sad that so much of that was shown in the in the trailers because that was such a good scene. But everyone kind of like came to expect it. But uh, yeah, just just in terms of lighting it easily tells you this is what you're supposed to be feeling. Look how dark it is. You're supposed to feel dark and scary. Nice. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, first off, I, I had to look it up too, but Thaddeus is Savannah's first name. Thaddeus. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Now, another thing kind of separates this from the earlier Snyder movies that are kind of desaturated in color, that this one's very bright mm-hmm. like throughout. And that kind of is part of the reason that the tone is, is, is lighter. Uh, you guys have anything else for, uh, composition before I move on down to sound. Uh, speaking of composition and a nod to the Snyder earlier movies, the Watchmen, there's the scene where he's in the office. Did you catch the Watchmen uh, smiley face logo thing in there on the desk? All, so, all like the buttons and stuff? Yeah. Is that you mean? The, yeah. All the mugs and everything. It was just Watchmen stuff in there. So I thought kind of a nice, hey, we're in the Snyderverse, Zack Snyder Watchmen and throw that in there so yeah the watchmen are kind of in the canon well at least in the comics they are i would i would point out one more thing on camera work that i really loved was when they're fighting in the mall and he gets knocked through the wall at the toy store first off can we just say that the toy store is absolutely incredible yeah the toy store with superman and batman everything in the toy store and i just absolutely love that part because it just is it makes you smile. If you're a fanboy and you look at that, you're just like, oh my gosh, it's just a, acknowledging that they're heroes and we've made heroes into merchandise. And uh, and so anyway, that when they get knocked out into the hall or the main walkway of the mall and Zachary Levi gets up and he's standing on the piano, the toy piano, yeah. and then the villain starts walking to him on the toy piano, it's just a great nod back to Big with Tom Hanks just to yeah. throw the child pretending he's an adult child pretending an adult. He's an adult in the superhero movie. So it's a, it's an intentional camera thing to focus on that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take the moment to take that one second shot down to feet and sure. see a light up. It's almost like, just- Hey, we know we're going to get compared to big. We're going to draw attention to it. We're aware. Yeah. Here it is guys. Now we're going to acknowledge it with the camera and we're all going to smile. There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that later on in, in set decoration, but I'm glad you brought it up here. It's just because I mean, everything's working together, right? It, they have to show what they're what they're using there. So, uh, so Corey, why don't you keep keep going and talk about what you notice for sound? Uh, the sound I think is great. I I don't think they take the superhero sounds and make them too cheesy or punchy. I think the you get a lot a couple of the whooshes as he does some super speed stuff, and um, but I think. I think the sound in this movie is great. I Again, I always get caught up in focusing on the action and what's taking place. I, I let the the music slip behind me of what's in the background, and then I go, my gosh, I was supposed to pay attention to the music. and But it goes along well with the scene. I feel the emotion of all the sound mixed together with the action works great. There was nothing that was too distracting. I think the the voices are very typical of the sins. The sins voices are very typical, dark, you know, sound growly, mm-hmm. you know, and they all have the same sound. Um, but I, but I think it's good. I really like it. The one thing I would throw out for, 
for sound would be the soundtrack Shazam, I think is a little underwhelming for me, but yeah, we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah, we will definitely get to that. Justin, what about you? There were a couple of moments in there, um, especially when you're first being introduced to uh, Dr. Sivana, uh, kind of at his, uh, while, while like the other doctors video calling um, the person with the proclaimed mass hysteria, uh, where as it's, as you're being introduced to him, it almost sounded like a little bit of uh, Danny Elfman, like Tim Burton, Batman. I, I, I'm not sure, sure quite what, what, it, what it is, but um, like a very obvious tonal shift there. Um, in terms of Corey, you brought up the like punching sounds and the whooshing sounds as he's running and flying, things like that. Like this whole this whole movie is a a parody of almost itself. Like it's 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 a parody of the DCEU. It's a parody of superhero movies in general. But it it works. It like it's intentional. Um, and I feel like some of the sounds do that too. It's like sometimes the sounds are over the top, but they're doing it intentionally for comedic effect. Like the very first time he uses his super speed to uh, uh, stop the mugging, which wasn't actually a mugging. <laughs> um, it, it's a very yeah. dramatic like whoosh noise, mm-hmm. um, but it's because it's supposed to be dramatic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, about the soundtrack. So, uh, the guy's name is, is Benjamin Walfish and he's, his background is, is basically horror. Like he, he had done lights out was his first one. Annabelle creation. He did both chapters one and two of it, but he also did, um, one of your favorites, Justin blade runner, 2049. He works with Hans Zimmer. So, so you got the pedigree there and he's doing the flash. He's going to do the new flash movie. So I'm excited for that. But I think mostly his, his stuff is, is kind of in the background. There's not really a Shazam theme. That's super memorable. Mm-hmm. I think the the music choices, like the pop music choices in this film are the things that really stand out, whether it be, you know, don't stop me now by queen during the training montage. Um, you also have, you know, you have, um, do you hear what I hear Bing Crosby at the beginning with, with Savannah, you have that kind of kind of cool thing with like the sound act, like bleeds out. And then you just have the music as the cars flipping over, which is kind of an interesting sound choice where you're, you know, taking the sound out and you have this kind of jarring because it doesn't make sense. Like, like this kind of counterintuitive music that's going with the car crash. And it really just ruins that Christmas music for me. Now that song (laughs) is so creepy. Well, again, going back to gremlins, like that song plays, you know, that's in, that's in gremlins too going through the house when the mom's like trying to find what, you know, the creatures in her house. And so, yeah, it has a creepy aspect already. So Mm. that might be a nod. So I was going to, I was, when, when you were talking about like eighties movies and how this is kind of an homage to the, to the old eighties films, I was thinking a little bit closer to Goonies, but with that Mm. in mind, I had that on my list too. Maybe it is, maybe it is gremlins. I think it does have a Goonies feel too, with the whole family and the adventure, the kids Mm -hmm. that they're going on with him and, the soundtrack, though, I will say this. The thing about the soundtrack, and I was trying to process it today, as I was, for why it's underwhelming to me. And I think when you think of Superman and and the Batman movies and Wonder Woman in Batman versus Superman, her entrance music, mm. they're all haunting songs that you, you hear and it stays with you. You know, it's a theme song that you can hum and that you can hear. You could that just is powerful. And I think Shazam, I'm not going to lie. It's a really wonderful song. It sounds great. Like I listened to the soundtrack. Um, I was driving to the store with my kids today and I played the soundtrack just so I could hear it and kind of get going with that Shazam theme song. And it was good, but it's not something that had that haunting part where you're just going to hum it over and over and it gets stuck in your head. Like the Imperial March for Darth Vader, you know, or the Indiana Jones theme song. So, it, and I think that kind of underwhelms for me a little bit. I think if you're going to release a superhero movie like this, you have to have something that's going to really stick with people and resonate with people and kind of draw them in for that hero theme. That's going to oh. make you. Did you just compare it to the Imperial March and Indiana Jones? Like, if you put it on that pedestal, it's ne- it's going to come up short <laughs> no. every single time. Well, that's not fair. And I'm hoping I'm hoping he does something for the Flash that that is stand out because that that movie is set up to. But we're, unlike this, which is is kind of light right well so then will we get a tim Six. burton yeah music sound in in batman michael keaton reveal um well we heard it in the trailer but that doesn't mean yeah. anything necessarily yeah the but trailer I will, 
but yeah. but we better because honestly, like Batman, yeah. Batman's sound is Tim Burton. As a yeah. kid that grew up in the '90s, like that is the sound. Yeah. Well, and and let me add to that. So this is the other thing, and I think I mentioned this to you, Justin, um, beforehand that when Superman shows up at the end of this film and it's not, it's buried in the mix, but when he walks in, you hear John Williams, Superman theme. Yes. And I had missed it every time I've, I've seen this movie several times, but I had missed that. And what I think is interesting is that, you know, first off, they don't use the man of steel theme. They don't use Hans Zimmer's theme, but this, that did not get any kind of, not that I remember hearing, any kind of flack that they just use that. Unlike when Cavill shows up in the end of black Adam. And that was controversial that we heard John Williams theme instead of man of steel's theme. So it's interesting that they had already, and you could tell, I think from there that they're already transitioning away. And the more we, the more we find out, like they had already planned to not bring Cavill back anyway. So we're already kind of transitioning back to this is Superman. This is the Superman song. It's Superman doesn't have to be any particular actor, but you know, you immediately know, who the character is when you hear that song. I mean, the, the big S on his chest helps as well. <laughs> sure. Certainly. Yeah. We're not confused about who that is. Cause and, he doesn't say uh, Superman, does he? Right. He just says, I just brought a friend and I brought a friend looks up, gives a smirk. <laughs> um, anything else from, from sound? Oh, I did have eye of the tiger as diegetic music, which is fun. Um, which is another thing like, so this, movie exists in a universe where superheroes are real, but also Rocky is a real movie. Cause I mentioned Rocky multiple times, um, which is fun to also because, you know, most DC heroes don't live in, in like actual cities. Yeah. You know, Metropolis, Gotham city, what have you. Um, and he doesn't hear he's in Justin, you want to say something? No, keep going. Craig. Oh, okay. But this is, just, you know, I, I, some I of this is set in Philadelphia. So, Rocky yeah. reference, and there's a Game of Thrones reference in here too. They throw the name yeah. of Game of Thrones in there. Lots of pop culture references from our world. But what if the Rocky movie doesn't exist in this world? What if Rocky actually exists as, in the same way Rocky exists in the Creed movies? Ooh, oh my a goodness! Real person, maybe. Just saying. this is on the same world with Creed. Yes, somewhere out there. Well, you know, we just started a new fan theory that's going to take the internet by storm. That's it. Guys, we went mainstream. This is how fan theories get started. It it could happen. Creed and Shazam are in the same universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that could happen. All right. Anything else for sound before we talk about performances? This is not a video podcast, but Corey just took a very smug drink from his uh, Batman (laughs) mug after. There it is. (laughs) This is the Michael Keaton Batman mug. That's Mm -hmm. true. He's back, people. All right. Um, yeah, acting's pretty solid. Even with the, the child actors, pretty solid all the way through, I think. Um, but let's let's go ahead and go right to right to quotes. And that's that's a lot of funny stuff in this movie. Um, Corey, I'm going to give you first dibs, and but we'll see. Maybe we can max out it too. But you take first dibs. All right, I'm going to go with first dibs because this. I know someone else is going to have this. It's when Shazam is Billy Batson's talking and he says, here's the thing about power. What good is power if you got nobody to share it with? I think that's powerful. He's talking about his family. He's talking about bringing everybody on board. They all become superheroes in their own right. They become their own little Shazam family. And that right there is the summary of a superhero. The, the villain guy, you know, he's sitting there trying to look and, and become uh you know, he's trying to become the, the end-all champion guy. And even Billy Batson, you're the champion. You think the top, the champion number one guy. But his whole thing here at the end is we're all champions together. So I, I think that's powerful. I love that movie. I love that quote. Yeah, it's a good moment of, of growth for him, too. Kind of shows how far he's come. Justin, what about you? You got a, a favorite line or two? Yeah, I wanted to be original and not choose one that was um, funny because there's just so many funny lines in here, but... So, but I had to go, so I had to go with something funny. Um, but the part where, where, uh, they're all gathered around the staff and they're, they're about to transform into like the Shazam family. And he's like, say my name. And they're all just like, Billy, no, <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah, when it looks like this, uh, yeah, when it looks like this, uh, yeah. that one. And then just the entire interaction in the convenience store, once they meet, <laughs> uh, the robbers, 
Yeah. <laughs> when he's like, oh my goodness, you have bullet immunity. Uh, well, maybe your suit just has bullet immunity. Shoot him in the face. He's like, yeah, shoot me in the face. What? Shoot me in the face? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the could thing go I, wrong. I love about this movie and like Zachary Levi in general is just he, at no point do you think he is not a 14-year-old boy. Like, <laughs> like yeah. we, we've all pretended to be superhero. Well, not that I have. I'm very... I'm very mature and adult, but um, sure. at some point, hypothetically, some of us have probably pretended to be superheroes. And like, that's as a 14 year old, that's how you would act. If you got superpowers, you'd be like, yeah. shoot me, shoot me in the face. And then immediately you're like, oh man, my underdeveloped brain is telling me that is a bad idea. Yeah. You cannot shoot me in the face. Yeah. Uh, love it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm torn. I like basically everything I have is, is Freddie and Billy talking to each other. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, and, that's the power of this. Those yeah, two together. And, the and dynamic could not be faked. Some of them are funny. Like the, you know, what are your superpowers? Superpowers? Dude, I don't even know how to pee in this thing. <laughs> it's, it was in the trailer and still works, though. It's it's amazing. Absolutely. And then later um, when he goes to the bathroom, he has to. Yeah, and they pay the that off, yeah. which is fantastic. That's great. That's great. Um, but the, the one I think I really want to focus on um, is where it's right after the bus thing happens. And. Uh, Shazam says, you just wish it was you. And Freddy says, and I'm going to just do this PG. He says, no crap. You think I wouldn't kill to have what you have? Because everything I do is like some desperate attempt to get people to notice me, not to feel sorry for me. And he just goes on and that, and like, what a moment of, of, you know, he's just being real at that moment. It's, it's like, of, of course I would want to be, are, are you serious? Why would I want, not want to be a superhero, let alone have both my legs work? Yeah. So I love that response <laughs> where, where, you know, where Billy is just trying to call him out on his stuff. And he's like, obviously dude. See, and I think that's the beauty of this movie that I love so much is that amidst the 14 year old humor, you get a few moments of powerful interactions like that, that take place powerful moments that just call to a bigger life applicability than just a line or a scene or a color delivered. Well, and, um, like shout out to the actor that plays Freddie. He has such good chemistry with both Shazam and Billy. Yeah. He, he's able to pull that off so authentically Yeah, in, in both situations. Like that, that kid's an amazing actor. Yeah. Jack Dylan Grazer. Uh, yeah. He's fantastic. All right. Um, my second quote, I got one go more. For it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's when the wizard is talking to Billy Batson and he says, you, Billy Batson, are all I have, all the world has. I open my heart to you, Billy Batson, and in doing so, choose you as a champion. And I love it because he spent millennia searching for a champion, waiting for a champion, waiting for it. Find me the one. And at the end, when he knows he has to, his back's against the wall here, he just has to choose. Right. He had to choose Billy and Billy, who's imperfect, and yet still has that heart of gold and that diamond in the rough. So I think it's just a, it's a great line because it just shows at some point you have to just choose. You have to open up your heart to it and choose, and this is going to work. So I think it's a great life moment right there. I think that also the fact that he had to choose Billy, even though Billy wasn't the, the perfect choice. It was like his only choice at that point. I can see how uh, Dr. Sivana would be so irritated by that. It's like, you didn't choose me because I wasn't pure of heart. And now mm -hmm. you're just going to choose this rando kid because it's your last hope. Like that would add a, an extra layer of insult of oh, that. That could have been me. Yeah. Right. He refers to him as the perfect man sarcastically too. Right. Mm -hmm. You can see the, the jealousy there. Um, another one I had, and I love that this ties in with, with props too. We mentioned earlier the, the keychain with the, the compass on it. When he hands it to his mom, when Billy hands it to his mom, she says, what's this? And he, and he says, you might need it more than me, which just, and then walks away. What a, just a powerful moment where he's the adult in that, in that yeah. situation. Yep. And it says so much too, that he had cherished that for so many years. Like that thing is, is well-worn. Like you, you see the juxtaposition between when he got it new and then immediately goes to like present day. And it looks quite a bit different because he's presumably had it in his hand for a while mm -hmm. and it just meant so much to him. And then to give it to his mom and his mom's like, what, what is this? Um, yep. The I, power of that scene. Hmm. 
All right. What about uh, body language and facial expressions? Anybody, you guys just jump in as. I got to point out Zachary Levi. Dang I, it, Corey. I'm, <laughs> his mannerisms and how he pulls off. A, I mean, he's, I, I don't know what he is. Late 20s, 30s, he says in the movie. <laughs> I might even be I 30. Maybe 30. Uh, he but he still pulls off a great mannerisms of Billy Batson, the 14-year-old kid who's says the right things, has the smirk. And there's moments in the movie where you see him, all of a sudden he's walking in the carnival to change into Shazam, and he's got almost a hop in his step, Billy Batson does, as he says Shazam, and then Zachary Levi keeps in the same step. Yeah. And it shows the, I'm walking, I have to be the superhero. And so he just has a confidence in him. He does it such well that it's like almost a... Not a confidence like Henry Cavill pulls off, but a confidence of a 14-year-old boy who all of a sudden has been endowed with superpowers. Very different to wear those. And I think the best view of his expressions is him in the final scene where he's arguing to get Zavaj to, to let that last demon out of him. And he's taunting him a little bit to get that last demon out. And it's almost a schoolyard bully I'm calling out the bully finally, and I'm going to taunt him a little bit and monologue a little to get that last guy to come out of him. And he does it in a way, and his hand gestures are up. They're not, you know, he's got his hand like this. He's holding his thumb up in one hand, and he's kind of taunting him. And it's a really good scene to get how a 14-year-old is going to have to do a final fight. You know, it's not a, a usual way that you have two superheroes fighting at each other. So, Yeah, I, I, I had frequently just his big eyes and, and mouth just wide open like all the time when he's learning Zachary Levi just all the time and then it's, it's mirrored by Asher Angel who plays the younger Billy Bats and when, when he keeps hearing Freddie's claims of abuse over, over his mouth his just look of shock on his face when he just can't say anything because Freddie's just pulling his leg yeah so Zachary Levi just like physically and verbally he he acts I mean, we've said this before, but he just acts like a 14 year old. That very first scene where he he's uh, he's on the subway and he just turned into Shazam. And then when he walks out of the subway, he just like hits his head on the doorframe. <laughs> if you notice when he walks through doorframes, um, I don't know how many times, at least twice throughout the film, he does like kind of eye it as he as he walks underneath it um, as if he's still not like fully sure of his height. Um, but. I mean, just in the in the superhero training montage too. I mean, he's doing the uh, oh geez, what's the Fortnite dance? He's flossing. Thank you, Craig. It's weird that yeah. you know that, but yes, <laughs> um, like he's doing the, the the flossing, which is just as awkward and uncoordinated as any fourteen year old would do it. Oh goodness, I hope our students are listening to this. Um, but uh, yeah, he he shows I am a 14 year old. I don't know who made that casting choice, but uh, something about Zachary Levi is just eternal youthfulness nails that role. It's, it's yeah. amazing. And yeah, I remember when, when I heard he was cast, I was a little bit like him. I mean, I, I like him as an actor, but like, I don't think of him as being a big guy, but he's like six, four. He's a huge man. Yeah. And, and bulked up pretty I many. I don't, I, that's not completely him under the suit, but um, he's, it's a big guy all around. I love how comedically large those muscles are too. Like it, it when I when I first saw it on the, in the trailers, I was like, "That doesn't even look real." But that's the point. I don't yeah. think it is supposed to look. No, it's supposed to look ridiculous. It's idealized for sure. Um, as far as costumes and makeup and stuff go, we've already kind of talked about the genius of of the the two flashbacks and the changes with those. And I'm glad you brought those up, Corey, because I think those are some of the best intentional choices to really set. Uh, make it super clear like why these scenes are so different uh, i'd also want to just point out like i love this i do love the suit though i love that it's comic accurate even down to the hood which is very unique to that character and then he's got a brand new one for the sequel so that'll, that'll be interesting to see how and, how and i'm not happy about the new one though like i love the glowing bolt lightning bolt in the first one and so the second one it doesn't look quite as I don't know how to even describe that quite as electric. It looks more. Yeah. It know. looks less idealized. Like it looks more what you would see like a Batman or Superman, kind of a darker tone. Yeah. I don't yes. know if that'll become a story point though. If they'll, if they'll address that. And the, the arm things look a little more metallic -y and less gold. Mm -hmm. 
and the texture of the suit is definitely a little different. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I like it. It looks more cosplay than, than it does to the first one, which looked very fitting with the movie and the role. I think yeah. I will say that too, that some of the glowing on that uh, lightning bolt too is, is practical. Like, and that's some of the stuff you see in the, in the behind the scenes stuff that there's actually like a little bolt light bulb in there that they're, they're doing that in camera. So that's kind of cool. That would be very distracting though, to be fighting crime when you have like, this constant <laughs> and like, what if you want to do a stealth mission or something, you know, how are you going to hide with that big old lightning bolt? <laughs> yeah. That's not going to work. Um, I also wanted to point out how much I love the fact that they do get the beer and then spit it out immediately <laughs> as under body language, which is pretty great. They're dual reactions. Uh, anything else for performance before we talk about setting and design? Um, I don't know if this would go under performance, but I'm going to add it. I really like John Glover, the guy that plays Dr. Savannah's dad. Um, I grew up watching a lot of Smallville. So it was nice to John Glover, who plays Lex Luthor's Lionel, Linus, Lionel, 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 Luther. Yeah. Lionel um, Luther. So this is the third DC property he's been in, and then the second DC property where he's the father of a bald guy. So I don't know if he becomes the villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. I I like him. He's great. Justin, is, remind us what the first one is. I don't want to talk about it. It's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. It is, I, I figured when he was in driving that car, it was just Lionel Luther driving that car. I mean, he played that exactly like Lionel Luther. Like you would expect to see him talking to Lex Luther as a kid. It was spot on. Yeah. Corey, do you know the first property that he was in? The very first property? Well, I thought first, it was the first easy one. No, no he, he, was, he, was, he was in Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin? Yeah. He was some he was, like rando scientist or something. Jason Woodrow. Yeah, he's in the comics. Oh. All right, let's move on. Setting and design. Uh, what's interesting, this is uh, going back to what we talked about. When we talked about Superman, a lot of this is filmed in Canada. Yeah, it's in Toronto, most of it. Uh, there's the Woodbine Shopping Center, the Hearn Generating Station, where they're doing all the powers testing. Uh, but, of course, then we also have at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. You can't fake that. You know, the steps from Rocky. That's legitimately Philadelphia. and Obviously, some establishing shots they took, you know, uh, footage of that for letting us know that we're in Philadelphia. And then, of course, um, the Rock of Rock of Ages is not his Rock of Ages, right? I'm looking that up. Make sure I get that correct. Rock of Eternity. Rock of Ages is a movie with Tom Cruise. Rock of Eternity is filmed in Pinewood Studios. So that's that's a set, obviously. That's not a real place. Uh, but yeah, it's set. I mentioned earlier it's Philadelphia, but it's set actually in in Fawcett City. That's a fake city, but you also have the that's what the Fawcett Comics, I believe, was because uh, Shazam, of course, was the original Captain Marvel um, before he was a DC property. This came out. This came around the same time as Captain Marvel too, didn't it? Wasn't it three weeks? Same year. Before? Yeah, like a month before. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's the original Captain Marvel. Uh, let's see. We talked a little bit about um, set decoration a lot, a little bit already with the toy store and the giant piano on the floor, which is amazing. Again, the nod to Big, which is awesome. Uh, one thing that I really liked about this too um, was that Billy's mom's apartment complex with the concrete block walls feels like a prison to me. Like it is not a happy place, and she's locked into that life. That is that is a powerful takeaway. It's and see that's the thing I tell you about these podcasts and the shows that we do and talk about is taking away the nuances that you didn't pay attention to before or you may not have known because that's a powerful takeaway. Is realizing how much the set talks about everything. I uh, I I'm laughing at my own joke here. I wrote that the seven deadly sin statues are creepy as hell. <laughs> they are. Why would you have them in a lair? <laughs> Stare at you all the time. They're, they're I would not them. sleep. They're keeping a prisoner there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the carnival is constructed from scratch. That's fun. That's on a military base, a Fort York a historic site, actually. And uh, they built that there. So, okay. Um, let's see. We talked also about the compass, keychain, magic eight ball is a fun little magic eight ball. Right. Wink, wink. 
Um, I love that he uh, has a notebook looking through all the things for his mom and then hacks into the, that, that whole opening scene where it's kind of like letting us know who he looks like just kind of a bad kid, you know, doing messing with the cops and whatever, but he has a reason for it. Like he's a, you know, he's just trying to figure out where his mom's at. He's playing detective. He's being a detective on that yeah. with how many uh, Batsons that he's found. So definitely uh, one more thing, Craig, for props that I got to, I got to give credit to, I think is the end credits with the the drawings and the little cartoony drawings that show up at the end credits right as the movie ends, where it shows him and Batman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. There are little drawings and little snippets in there, and it tells a kind of a funny little story, which is very high schooly feeling. It's that very 80s movie, campy, here's a cartoon drawing, a sketch inside of a notepad that you would make when you're bored in class. And it shows him, you know, Wonder Woman jumping into the bat car and he's taking her to prom. And, you know, it's just funny little things like that, that I think you have to include those as far as like props and design a little bit. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of and some people always say it kind of rips off Spider-Man Homecoming a little bit from the end. Right. Uh, the the tiger. I don't, I don't know if you're the one that's told me this, Corey, but is it uh, the stuffed tiger? And uh, at the carnival at the end. And isn't that the same balloon stand from the beginning of the film where he's, yeah. where his mom is trying to win the, the tiger for him where he, at the end at the, at the end scene with the, well, all the sins and Savannah show up, like he ends up crashing into uh, a balloon stand and then hands a little girl a tiger. So I'm thinking it's the same. It's that meant, is the it's, same it's, carnival. It's meant, I'm, I'm yeah. clicking through it and that's the same carnival. It's very, the lighting and it's the similar, yep, that stand in the back with the lights on it. Yep. It's the same carnival. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be the same. And so it's kind of a, a full circle moment uh, for him. It's a, it's a nod of something small that pays off that they don't just wash away into a quote. And I love when movies do that, small little payoffs through that. He says he wants a tiger in the story. In yeah. both versions we hear the tiger is on the, the gold parts that hold the the cape on and then the tiger he hands the kid that is in that in that stand that he lands in he hands that kid a tiger yeah well it looks like we lost justin silly computer issues so we'll we'll soldier on without him and bring him back next time uh but let's go ahead and talk is there any characters that we did not talk about we we briefly mentioned um the wizard um, Jaiman Hansu is always great. And so, yeah, he, he elevates every movie that he's in and he's not in this a ton, but he's in the next one too, which is interesting. So apparently he didn't die. Yes. I think he, he adds a lot to it. I think his character, I, they could have gone further with him would be great. I think, uh, he does elevate something into it. Yeah. And, you know, all the kid actors are, are fantastic. I think in this, and then, the, the, the so much fun of, of actually having the, the Shazam family at the end. I mean, that was a thing that I should have anticipated happening, but I, I didn't. And so that was just a great surprise that there were all adult versions of them. Some of which had been, and which, what I think is interesting is, um, so there was an earlier version. I don't know if you know about this Corey, but like there was going to be a justice league movie that was in production right about the same time is like during Nolan's Batman trilogy. And, uh, it didn't get off the ground. There was like a writer strike and a bunch of stuff. Uh, but there were some of the people uh, like DJ Catrona, uh, who plays the adult version of Pedro. He was going to play Superman. And Adam Brody, who plays the adult version of Freddy, was going to play um, Barry Allen, the Flash. And so then that movie got canceled and never went anywhere. And uh, so this is kind of a redemption for them, too. They kind of get another second chance of second playing chance. superheroes. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the only other characters that I can think that are not quite mentioned as much is the two foster parents. I think they do a great job yeah, being positive, creating that role model, that caring, talking through them and in some of those growing pains that they're watching these kids grow up with, oblivious to the fact that they're superheroes. But I think those two actors are pretty good. Yeah, I enjoy them quite a bit. Like They feel authentic. And if I was a foster kid, I'd want to live with those people. Yeah. The foster father in that, I believe I remember him from Walking Dead. 
And I was a big fan of him in the show. I loved him in the show, Walking Dead. He was good. I was watching him at that time, and he was a great actor. So to see him in this role, I was like, oh, man, this is a totally different role. And so it was great. Nice. Um, let's see. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Well, we have um, the one last thing I had was that uh, it's Dwayne Johnson's likeness that is the the holograph of, of Teth Adam. Which yeah. doesn't it like in the origin story? I don't know if it quite fits with what we see in the movie Black Adam. Right, I was a little bit confused about that. Um, I mean, there could be more to the story because now we see with Black Adam, like he's not the original, you know, he's not the original chosen one and all that stuff too. Um, so some interesting things. I don't know if it quite fits together seamlessly continuity wise, but uh, but oh. that is that is Dwayne Johnson as as the other one. You know, again, there's another. You know, in in the Rock of Eternity, there's you know, there's seven chairs and there's only six people in the family. He's the seventh one. And so there is clearly at one point there was plans to unite that. And I I wish I was on the earth that that happened on, because I am just telling you it was set up. It was there. It was, it was a home run ball hit Craig. It was going over the fence. We had travel. We had the rock and we had Zachary Levi all set up. We had three movies going. It was time for the next crossover. And this would have been an amazing blockbuster event. Doggone it DC. And then right at the end, James Gunn jumps up on the fence and he's the outfielder catches the (laughs) ball and robs us of the home run. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it was set up. It was there. And here who, what three actors are we going to get in three separate movies to set this up ever again? Oh. I don't know if it's going to come off. The cartoon version of Shazam, Superman, and Black Adam fighting is incredible. It would have been great to see a live action. So I still hold out hope that this Earth somehow puts one together. Yeah. Corey's, Corey's not over the Snyderverse being in. I am not over it. I am sorry, fans. I'm sorry, people. It's <laughs> well, still there. Yeah. We have, and very soon, we do have, we are going to talk about. Zack Snyder's Justice League right before the Flash, and well, that'll probably be a cathartic experience for all of us. The brilliance of that, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Um, just kind of winding down, looking at Hero's journey. I think what's interesting about this one is that um, there is a little bit more of a reveal of a hero. I think than than he doesn't transform as much as like we kind of see he's always kind of been that, always had the potential for that, and that's yes. I mean that's basically Hero's journey anyway, but. You know, he's got a lot, he's still got a lot of growing to do. Um, but I also think that it's interesting that you had this kind of parallel journey between him and Savannah, where Savannah goes one way and Billy goes the other. And the fact that you mentioned this too, Corey, that he's been looking, that the wizard has been looking for years for, you know, his champion. And that by the time we get to Savannah and his project, like he's, the number they throw out is 56 potentials and that's just like the ones that he knows about the yeah. recent ones which i think is is a thing that that gets lost a lot of time we just like he's the chosen one he's not really the chosen one in like the you know fate chose you it's he literally like shazam the wizard literally chose him who just picked him out and was like you're gonna be the guy because you have to be because i'm out of time well, and he even he even after Savannah, he cast the the seven sins are mocking him, saying he's getting weak. He he hits the staff and casts a spell, and says, "Find me one champion." Right. And so here he's looking for this perfect champion and can't find it. So I I think that's the power of that. Yeah. I choose you, anyway. Yeah, which is a whole other thing, which is, is kind of interesting. He's not just the one with potential. Uh, he he really is kind of the everyman in this, right? It's yep. kind of the Ryan Johnson Jedi thing, right? It can come from anywhere. Which kind of the reluctance of the hero's journey, the reluctance yep. of the hero. The mentor, who would you call the mentor in this situation? Would it be Freddy? I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's- Let's talk about the hero's journey then. Let's talk about who's the mentor. I mean, obviously our mentor doesn't die, but our mentor is Freddie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, and he is, yeah, you don't have the, the death doesn't have to be a physical death. It could be no. just a separation. And he is like, he's incapacitated. He's captured by Savannah. Yeah. He's taken off the board. And at that point then, yeah, Billy has to decide like, are you going to run? Or are you going to stand? Like, what are you going to do? And then he does, he, you know, he comes back to the house and 
is willing well, to give up his powers to save his family at that point. Well, and that's true because then at that moment when he's at the carnival for his hero's journey, when you can see in Billy's face, he knows he has to go out. I have these powers. I'm the only one that can do this. Freddie's telling him no, because you're my best friend. At that point, Freddie had grown attached and is like, what are you going to do? You're my best friend. Like kind of almost not sending him out. Like you got to go do this. This is your moment. Right. He's not doing that. And so then that's when, Zachary Levi starts, or that's when Billy Batson starts walking out and says, Shazam, and changes into Zachary Levi real quick. And then we have our conclusion. Yeah. So, so it is, it is hero's journey. Just in some ways it's, it's not the traditional one that we've seen in, in other films, but it's, it's definitely that everyone has that potential and that transformation. And yes, like we said, I mean, he's, he's not a completed product at the end of this movie. He's still a, he's still a 14 year old kid with lots of, a lot and, he, and apparently in the next film he's still he's still fairly young still fairly inexperienced and he's going to have further tests that he'll have to pass yep uh we talked about in world building too we also talked about it's kind of and i love that you guys brought this up it's kind of its own corner of the dceu doesn't have to be central but it's obviously clearly connected especially through freddie we see that with all the, the merchandise and we saw that in the uh in the store and stuff Lots of other references to superhero tropes too, like a lair over a cliff with a waterfall you drive through, which I was like, yeah, that sounds like Batman. Uh, they also mentioned he's more, you know, more powerful than locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And you get those little nods uh, to other superhero properties, especially Superman and Batman. So great stuff. Uh, so Corey, final thoughts on uh, Shazam. My final thoughts is this is an incredible movie. I love it. It's a great capstone, I think, in the DC timeline. I think in their in their time when they were making movies around this around this era of the Snyderverse, and a great way to do a parody to bring in a little bit of poking fun and a little bit of of Batman and Superman with some of the merchandise and and to show our view of heroes and to introduce a new hero. I think it's a great campy feel to bring in some of that young youthfulness into it. It's a movie where you basically have two main actors being one superhero, the Billy Batson and Zachary Levi as Shazam playing the same character through the whole movie, having to share their struggles and to share their, share their limelight. It's a great movie. I think you should go see it. I can't wait to see the sequel. I think the sequel is going to just keep going with it. I hope the writing is as good as this one was. They do a great job of making a few jokes, making a few comments, and then paying off for them later in the movie and not letting them slide and slip off and never come back to them. So absolutely love it. And then the power of the color in this movie and the scene with uh, Billy imagining his mom at the fair and his mom telling that version. There's just a lot of power in this movie to say there are some life application lessons here um, that you can take and you can walk away with and say, my goodness, that's how life is. Yeah, well, most most of the crew is back for the second one. So I, I have a strong feeling it's going to feel like a natural extension of this film. And this is just a fun movie. You know, I, I enjoyed watching this every time I watched it. I really enjoyed the second, this this last, most recent rewatch. Um, I do hope that it continues. I, I would love to see that. And obviously when you have a younger actor and, and Zachary Levi paired up, like there's an, a kind of an expiration date on that, right? So you yep. gotta just, you gotta make as many of these as you can while, while the age difference is still makes sense. And we've already seen like they've with the, with the Mary characters that she's playing, um, Grace Fulton is playing both versions, you know, cause she's aged to that point. Um, but I, I do hope I would love to see it, see the character, move forward into the DCU. I'd love to just to see them interact with the rest of the justice league. I, I think seeing him with Batman would be interesting just to see, <laughs> having to put up with that uh, and to see him fanboy over wonder woman and Superman. And there was rumors at one point that Gal Gadot would be in this film and uh, in the new film. And I don't know if that's all gone at this point. Um, but I think that would be kind of fun to see. Absolutely. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. And our next episode will be a review of John Wick. 
which I've never seen. I'm excited to see it. I want to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. Send an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from John Wick, and we'll share it on the next episode. <laughs>